This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Coast to Coast podcast here on Inside Carolina. We are sponsored, as always, by Giant T-Shirt and JohnnyTShirt.com. I'm your host, John Siegley, joined by Sherelle McMillan on the East Coast, Sean Moran on the West Coast. Guys, UNC unfortunately suffered another defeat to the season, losing 96-83 to against Georgia Tech. The fact that, that they scored 83 points after you know scoring less than 10 points for a majority of that opening half there, just it was kind of one of those things where Garrison Brooks really seemed to take the team on his back. In the end, though, it was not enough. They could not overcome that slow start, and the defense just was not there. Tommy and Dewey talked about it a lot in their post-game podcast. So let's just touch on that game. Sherelle, what were your takeaways from watching UNC fall to the Yellow Jackets in the Dean Dome? Well, we know that this isn't a vintage UNC team. We know they're not uh, as talented as some of his Roy Williams had in the past. Even some of his teams that you know didn't get past the first or second or past the second round, um, they're not as talented as those teams. But I think what surprised everyone and has really contributed to kind of the shock factor of how they lost was just how lifeless they looked um, in that first 13 minutes of the first half. I mean, there were just it was just turnover after turnover and bad shot after missed shot after bad shot and just everything that could go wrong. It, you felt like it was, um, you know, the, I can there's probably several theories about why that happened. You know, some say that losing Anthony Harris was kind of an emotional gut and that was the last thing they were kind of holding on to. Um, you could say that they just came out, you know, lifeless after a couple of wins. And yeah, I, I don't really know exactly what the reason is, but it was just hard to watch. Um, you know, I've said it on the message board. It, it was the most difficult, toughest watch, maybe worst play 13 minutes of Carolina basketball I've ever seen. And um, not to give my qualifications, but I'm old enough where, you know, kind of the late 80s is kind of my first memories of, of Carolina basketball that I actually remember. And it was the worst stretch I've seen in, in you know, 30, 35 years of watching Carolina basketball. Um, that's really my main takeaway. It was great to see them you know, have a little energy in the second half and, and play with some resolve. Um, but they just dug too much of a hole. And what was really frustrating is you always hear people talking about playing complimentary football and football. The same thing happens in basketball. Like you want your defense and your offense to kind of feed off of each other. And it seemed like once their offense got going, they stopped playing defense completely. It was worse in the second half than it was in the first half. Um, this is a Georgia Tech team that was Carolina-like in its scoring answering the game. So I think that was my biggest takeaway was just how bad they were um, defensively and how lifeless they were that first 13 minutes. Yeah, this Georgia Tech team, Sean, is was not ranked very high at all. I'm curious if you actually 
had their ranking going into this matchup. But go ahead and give us your thoughts on the outcome of this game. Well, in Kempom, they're ranked 88 now. Um, and I don't remember exactly what they were before, but around, you know, the probably the high 90s or 100s. And going in, uh, you know, they were a seven-point underdog. Um, you know, six and seven going in, one and two in the ACC. And, you know, they, to be fair, they do have some individual talent. And I think we we did see that um, perform really at their best yesterday. Um, I think for me, it was, it was frustrating seeing a guy like Jordan Usher have a good game. I got to see him a lot at, at USC and was, was never a big, big fan of him. And, and he was looking like a, you know, the four star he was out of high school. And then you can kind of go on down the, down the list. Um, you know, going into the game, I, I kind of had a, a flashback to the 2010 Georgia, Georgia Tech UNC game. I think there are some similar circumstances. UNC was favored uh, early January. We all knew that this was not a typical UNC game or sorry, UNC team, but probably we're, we're still hoping that they'd be able to, to knock off Georgia Tech at home. And then all of a sudden it started and it reminded me of the UVA game where just UNC couldn't score at all, except this time uh, Georgia Tech was able to score, where UVA was not the first maybe five or six minutes of that game. And all of a sudden, over 13 minutes, you're down 30 to six. You haven't seen a field goal go in, and you really don't know where that field goal is going to come from. Uh, I think the one player that was able to do that or could be able to do that is Jeremiah Francis. And, you know, he missed a few shots, but Besides that, you know, you started the game off, as Sheryl mentioned, turnover and bad shot. But as good as Garrison Brooks played in the second half, you know, he started the game taking 18, 19 footers. You had Brandon Robinson uh, shooting pretty quick threes that were coming nowhere close. And it, it was just, you know, a struggle, a struggle to watch because Georgia Tech came in ready to attack and they were relishing going up against a team such as UNC and playing in the, in the Dean Dome and, you know, their point guard from New York was playing definitely with a little pizzazz and he was ready to, ready to play. And just nobody, nobody from UNC was. And by the time they got going, uh, it was, you know, down 20 at the half and they weren't playing the defense to get the stops. I think it would have been interesting. You know, I think it was two threes that they had to cut it to potentially seven points. And, you know, that's still a, a few possessions away, but, you know, could they have gotten it any closer, but, you know, missed the two threes and Georgia Tech uh, hits their shots to get it to 12 to 13. So overall, a frustrating game and, and definitely uh, one to one to forget. Where does the team go from here, Sherelle? I mean, at this point, UNC has a lot of work to do to even be on the bubble for the NCAA tournament. And that's just the reality of this year's team. So if they are going to make it to the NCAA tournament, what do they need to do? And I want to hear more than just get Cole Anthony back healthy. I mean, that's going to help a ton. But I just think even if Anthony comes back, this team just has to fix a whole lot. So if they're going to make that run to try to earn an NCAA tournament bid, what do you think needs to happen at this point? They have to develop an identity with the current roster. And I think to this point, they haven't done that because they've cycled so many people in and out because of injuries. They have to figure out who's going to play. And once they figure out who's going to play, they all need to say this, you know, this is what we do. And this is how we can tailor it to who we have right now. And, you know, player one, this is your role. Player two, we want you to do this. Player three, focus on this. And I'm, I'm sure those, uh, you know, I'm sure those conversations are happening. 
with the UNC staff. I just don't know that, um, you know, the, the players are as a collective talented enough to implement whatever strategy they come up with. And then again, I'm not talking about individuals and not trying to make it personal, but as a collective unit, there is a, a, a talent drain on, you know, what North Carolina is used to having. So I think really it's just figuring out how to win games and maybe it's, you know, play as hard as you can every single time on defense, try to you know, limit possession, very antithetical, very different from what Roe Williams typically plays. I think it's how you would try to win with this team or, or how I would try to win with this team, which is um, in football, you know, you you run the ball three times, you get to, or you run the ball twice, you get to third and one, then you run it, you get the first down, and then you go down, you have 18, yard, 18 play, you know, 92-yard drives. I think that's the basketball equivalent is what this team has to do, which is um, minimize possessions, play excellent defense, throw the ball down into Garrison, um, light a fire under Armando. He's got to be more aggressive um, and go from there. I think that's really, it. you know, I don't think this team is going to make the NCAA tournament, um, but I think if there is one way, I think it's that, um, other than Cole coming back and just being otherworldly. What's your take on that, Sean? How does UNC turn this season around at, at this point where they're at? It's a very tough question. I mean, going in the other day, I was reading an article on ESPN, and they were talking about the lack, the lack of strength that the ACC had this year, uh, especially in, in compared to years past. And I think their ESPN's BPI was giving UNC a 12% chance to make the tournament. So that was 12% before the Georgia Tech game. Now, you know, they would probably have it at eight to 10, but, you know, it's going to probably take a miracle for them to make the tournament to be honest but you know if you're if you're looking once again we've talked about the schedule and now they they blew their first game in January but they still have Pittsburgh and Clemson at home um and you know ideally they could go 2 and 0 off of that when you look at the lineup uh you know you could say they need to make changes in the starting lineup but due to the injuries that it's really kind of impossible to do that uh especially with with Harris out. I mean, I think, you know, perhaps you, you know, maybe, maybe you give Justin Pierce a start in the next game. Not that he has really done that much to deserve it, but maybe that can light a fire under Armando because once again, he's really been struggling and there are several, you know, a decent amount of times uh, against Georgia tech where he just looked like he'd rather be somewhere else, not really giving an effort on the defensive end or the offensive end when he couldn't get his, his hook shot to go. But once again, you have, Justin Pierce, who you can go, you know, he was a 40, 40% three-point shooter just two years ago at, um, at William & Mary. Um, and now he's shooting 24%. Um, you know, you have Leaky Black, who probably had one of the most misleading analytical performances I've seen of, I think his offensive rating was a 142 after the game. And, you know, right now he's not really offering a lot out there from a scoring or defensive perspective but you don't really have another wing um so all that being said how do they make the tournament i mean i think you know going against pittsburgh jeremiah has to continue to try to put pressure on the defense um you know the armando and garrison brooks tandem have struggled making the post to post pass but they need to they need to try to at least establish themselves inside whether or not they make it um is a different story but you know, if they're getting post touches, which one has been difficult to get them post touches, but um, it's better than them shooting 18 foot jump shots. And at least it opens the possibility 
uh, for offensive rebounds. And I think Garrison should be playing with the confidence after what he showed in the second half. And, you know, he's not known for his post moves, but should be able to at least establish a presence down low. Um, and then, you know, you have Brandon Robinson, who really struggled early on, but at the same time is really only the only three-point threat on the team. And, you know, he's shooting 34% and can be be very streaky. So don't really have a, a set answer, but I think it's just taking it one game at a time. And they're a team that has to play a lot more focused and disciplined than they have uh, been accustomed to. And, you know, really focusing on one possession, one possession at a time is difficult as that can be. And as Sherelle said, you know, it's going to be, you know, slugging it out with, with some of these teams and just trying to get a few wins, especially before that backloaded ACC comes. And at least at that point, maybe Cole is healthy and you have a Cole Jeremiah backcourt. So once again, two scores, but it's just going to be, you know, if they could somehow get two wins in a row, that would be fantastic, but it's going to, each game is going to be extremely difficult going forward. Yeah, it really is. But I think that you both touched on a a key aspect in my eyes, and that is the team just having the individual focus and giving their maximum effort that they can. Dewey talked about that on his podcast, and I think that that's where if if anything is going to be a short-term turnaround, it has to start there. But let me take a moment to talk about our friends at Giant T-Shirt and GiantT-Shirt.com. They are your place to go for Carolina gear. If you need to pick up anything for the Tar Heel fan in your family, you can find it there at Giant T-Shirt's location on Franklin Street, where they have been in business for decades. They have the absolute best customer service. And if you can't make it to Franklin Street, you can always shop at GiantT-Shirt.com to get the same great customer service and the same great selection. And also, if you are a subscriber to Inside Carolina, you get 10% off of your orders either there at the Franklin Street location or online at GiantT-Shirt.com. You can get that 10% off code from the Tar Pit Premium Message Board or the Basketball Premium Message Board. So that's John T-Shirt and JohnT-Shirt.com, your place to go for Carolina gear. So guys, we've discussed how UNC needs help on offense and how they really need someone who can just flat out score the ball on offense. And we have discussed RJ Davis, UNC's recruit coming in, who has that capability. And he actually just hit a milestone in his high school career. Sherelle, why don't you tell the listeners what RJ Davis has done here of late? Uh, so, yeah, he hit 2,000 points uh, over the weekend at the Crusader Classic, which is a, a tournament in New York that Stepanak, uh, his school, puts on every year. Uh, sold out, big event up there. And by all accounts, you know, he played well. He's had a good season. I think the last time I checked, he was averaging around 27 points per game. Um, Shooting numbers weren't as high as you would like, but um, I think part of that is being the focus of the defense all the time. So, um, but yeah, he he definitely has a scoring pedigree. Uh, He's about 50 points, give or take, away from setting the Westchester County record um, for scoring in a career. And Donya Abrams actually has that now. And then he probably won't get to it, but there's a chance he could set the Catholic boys school um, league record for points in a career that's set by Kenny Anderson back in the late eighties. He's, he's quite a ways from that. Uh, They would take them, it would take them going very deep in uh, the Catholic school tournament and then the Federation tournament and him having some really high scoring outputs to reach that. But in all likelihood, he'll be the number two scorer in New York Catholic boys basketball of all time, which is, um, you know, 
pretty impressive when you start thinking about all the players that came through that those leagues. So, Sean, when you're looking forward to when RJ joins the heels, I feel that he is going to be relied on to provide scoring basically from day one. What are your thoughts on that, and how do you think he can accomplish that in Chapel Hill? Yeah, I think there's going to be a heavy reliance on the incoming freshman for for scoring and and outside shooting, given given what we're seeing this year. But you know, we've we've talked about RJ a lot the past few podcasts, and I think you know he, I mean, two thousand points is an incredible accomplishment. Scoring a thousand in your high school career is is pretty amazing as well, let alone doubling that. But he has the you know he has the ability, and I, I think it'll give once again two ball handlers in the backcourt, so both Caleb Love and um, RJ, as well as Jeremiah being able to push the ball um, and kind of get UNC back into that top 20 in tempo. And then at the same time, he has ability to really shoot from, from fairly deep outside and the ability to attack. So right now, um, you know, when Harris was in and Francis, they were able to attack and put pressure on the defense. And right now that's lacking. So I think he presents that and hopefully that can lead to other open opportunities for either the uh, wings on the outside or the big men down low. So I'm excited for for RJ, and I think he's going to be able to score in a variety of different ways as well as facilitate and get players some easier buckets than they're getting this year. This year. And looking at the rest of UNC's 2020 class, guys, any other updates that, that y'all can give on any of the other commits coming in? Mine isn't an update, really. It's more of a preemptive, um, you know, something we're going to talk about in the fall, I'm sure. But I think people have to realize, again, these are freshmen. And I know they've seen other freshmen go to other places and, you know, have huge scoring outputs and huge rebounding numbers and just, you know, integrate seamlessly. And, you know, in North Carolina, it just hasn't quite worked that way. Uh, Cole is a great example of that. I mean, he played really, really well for a couple of games. And then you started to see him, and part of it was the talent around him, but you started to see him kind of questioning things, trying to figure out exactly how he fit in. So I would just caution folks not to hype the freshmen up into the next stratosphere just because the team is struggling this year. Um, you know, there there is a such thing as a quick fix, but I wouldn't expect the five freshmen to come in and immediately – make Carolina, you know, a vintage Carolina team, a 2009 type team. They're going to come in. They're going to play well. They're going to struggle. Um, they're going to have good nights. They're going to have bad nights. So just, you know, I, I just want everybody to maintain a, a level of uh, calmness when it comes to the 2020 class because it's very good, but it's going to take time to grow and mature. Yeah, one one quick thing to add. I mean, I think that's why – you know, what we can see from Armando from here on out is going to be important because you go back to that, you know, going back to 2010, 11, et cetera. Um, you still had John, Hen- you know, John Henson gave you hope for the next year as well as the incoming freshman class. So if there's a way to get Armando, uh, you know, playing and, you know, whether it's 12 and 10 or 14 and 8, is getting him, it doesn't have to be at the Oregon level, but getting him at a competent level and that way, you at least have, you know, a sophomore that's been through it, uh, as well as Garrison. Uh, but if you have those two guys that can at least provide some hope uh, to combine with a freshman, I think it'll make make it better. But, yeah, if, if, you know, we're expecting a team full of freshmen to come come in and win the championship, that's probably not going to happen next year. But, um, you know, hopefully there'll be some other pieces around them as well. 
I think that you guys are both making really good points there. I think to me, what is going to be key is that UNC is getting two freshman big men in Walker Kessler and Dayron Sharp. And I think both of those guys are able to run the court. I mean, Baycott and Brooks, they do a decent job of that, but they're not really the style that we have seen Roy Williams really succeed at at the highest levels. And I mean, again, they are going to be freshmen. Asking a lot of them is a recipe for disaster. But still, I think that both have exhibited the types of games I feel like can fit in to the the Roy Williams style of offense, maybe a little bit better than what they have now. The outside shooting, I think, is going to be kind of a question mark. Let's just touch on that real quick before we take a commercial break. You know, Sherelle, what do you think about the two big men that they have coming in, being able to really run the court, play up and down? And then where do you think UNC can be getting some help with outside shooting from their 2020 class? Uh, I think Dayron definitely can run rim to rim um, a lot better than most people give him credit for. Um, Really probably as good as, as, you know, anyone in the last few classes. Um, He has that motor and he has that ability to to just run rim to rim. And as we talked about several times on here, he's a good defensive rebounder, but he is an excellent next level offensive rebounder. Um, As far as the shooting, I think uh, Cable Love has really shot well from three this year in high school. He's at 44%. Uh, RJ Davis is a little lower. Um, He's at like 36, but I think he's more of a volume shooter, so he'll have nights where he can hit four or five and nights where he might go one for six. You know, that's kind of, I think, what you'll get from him. And then Kessler, um, you know, he hasn't shot as well, I think, as he would like uh, this season, but he has proven himself capable of being a really good shooter, both on the EY, or excuse me, on the Adidas circuit and at USA some USA basketball events. Uh, so I think he can help in that regard, too. So I think between Love, Davis, Kessler, and then uh, Puff Johnson, who is a known marksman from three, I think those four can can help, uh, you know, make Carolina just a little bit better of a shooting team than they are this year. So it isn't fall falling on basically two people, which has been Brandon Robinson and when he was playing Cole Anthony. What's your take on that, Sean? Well, I mean, right now you have a team that, you know, two point percentage, they rank 314, three point percentage, 270. So anything, anything will help. I think, you know, one when you talk about the big man, it'll be interesting, you know, it'll be a topic of conversation throughout the spring and summer, but you know, who gets to start and, and how are the minutes divvied up uh, between two guys, you know, you have Brooks, who is a multi-year starter and uh, now Armando, and then you have Dayron and Walker Kessler coming in. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, the minute allocation as well as the starting lineups for that. And then, you know, really the, the weakness is going to be the wing where you have, um, you know, Puff. Puff coming in is really the only wing player. And then Leakey, who's currently there. Um, you know, Puff, I think, is a is a very talented shooter. And right now in high school has been kind of reduced to the three and D type role. Um, but will he be ready is a question mark. I think we should be able to definitely get, you know, spot minutes from him. And he has a, a beautiful stroke. Um, but he's not going to be, Cam, you know, what Cam Johnson was given that Cam came as a, as a junior. So I think that, is, you know, that's kind of the, still the the main weakness point looking at next year's potential team um, and how the, the wing situation fits into that, because, you know, with Love and Davis, you have two guys that can, that can score from the outside. And then Kessler has the ability um, to do that as well, but I don't think he's going to be your Luke May type stretch four at least right off the bat. So, 
it'll be, you know, I think that's going to be the main, the main question of is Puff the guy, or is there maybe another, another addition uh, to be added if, if that's possible with a scholarship situation. All right, good stuff, guys. Let's go ahead and take our last commercial break. And when we get back, let's wrap it up with some recruiting talk for the 2021 class. So stay tuned. We will be right back after this. And we are back with the Inside Carolina Coast to Coast podcast. I'm John Siegler, joined by Sean McMillan and Sean Moran. Guys, let's go ahead and look forward to the class of 2021, where UNC has a visit coming up from one of the top players in that class you were just talking about wings, Sean, and this guy, Harrison Ingram, he is one of the potential players that can fill a need. I know it's going to be 2021, but he is one of the elite wings in that class. So the fact that UNC has a visit with him coming up, I think is a pretty big deal in his recruitment. Where do you think UNC is at in his recruitment right now? And just talk about what type of player he is for some of the of the listeners who may not be familiar with Ingram. Sure. So in, in terms of the 2021 class, there's currently three scholarship offers out. Um, Paolo Banchero, Patrick Baldwin, and then the most recent one, Kennedy Chandler, point guard uh, from Memphis. Uh, and then you have you have Ingram coming with the visit. Um, I think it's February 1st. So in terms of that, I, I think it's a, definitely a good positive step. Uh, he's a guy that UNC and uh, as well as Inside Carolina covered a decent amount through the summer. And I got to watch him in three different situations. One was the Pangos All-American Camp. Another was uh, one of the Adidas AAU tournaments. And then most recently at the USA Basketball mini camp in October. And initially, um, I, I was kind of wondering, you know, what is, what does UNC see him, see in him when I first saw, first saw him just warming up and and looking at his body where, you know, his, his calf muscles are kind of just rippling out of his legs. So very explosive, uh, you know, kind of explosive on the lower body, but definitely looked like he could, uh, you know, shed a few pounds on the upper body. Uh, But then as, as I started to watch him play and as I started to watch him tournament, after tournament, um, definitely grew to be very impressed with him. And for a guy that I was hoping UNC would start to show serious interest in. Um, Over the summer, Steve Robinson, the assistant coach, kind of took the lead and watched him a few times in AU and I think took a visit uh, out to to Texas recently to to watch him play. But um, Roy hasn't seen a whole lot of him. now, in terms of what type of game he has, I'd say it's a it's kind of an I'd say an old school type of game. Uh, he's not the most athletic guy, which could be a positive if UNC gets him in terms of maybe he he's a top twenty type guy that sticks around for more than than one year. Uh, but he does do he doesn't do I'd say one thing great, but he does a lot of things very well. Uh, watching him in AAU, he's playing a year up, and he played a lot of point guard. He could handle the ball playing the pick and roll. Uh, he knew when to find his teammates and when to, when to shoot. Um, so he was kind of an underrated, underrated passer, uh, but he did have the ability when his team needed a big shot to pull up, you know, from even several feet behind, behind the three-point line um, and hit it. So watch him in the AU tournament. He led his, led his team to the championship, uh, once again, playing a year up, and he did that you know, attacking the basket, getting to the line. Uh, I think one of his favorite things to do is to post up smaller guards and he can kind of 
hits you with a fadeaway or a pump fake and an up and under. So he has a pretty versatile game in the post, which you don't really see a whole lot anymore. Um, and you have a guy that, that knows how to score in different situations. Right now, I think from a recruitment perspective, Stanford was out in front of him early. And to their credit and to Jared Hess's credit, they've done a good job of identifying talented guys pretty early. Uh, Zaire Williams was another one that Stanford identified and was on early. And then UNC was on fairly early as well. But it, it seems, you know, similar similar situation to Zaire in terms of Stanford being out in front of him early. A lot of the Texas schools have been interested in him, but he hasn't gotten a lot of love from maybe the Blue Bloods. And now you have UNC that has expressed interest. Um, and now finally, taking a visit to campus, I think is a big step. Um, and if he does get a scholarship offer, I think UNC will definitely be in there to the very end and we'll have a great shot. Um, I think both him and his family would welcome the offer and welcome the opportunity to play in Chapel Hill. Um, obviously getting him out of Texas will be difficult, but from an overall standpoint, I'm a, I'm a big fan of his game, really enjoyed watching him over the summer. And he's kind of a high character kid as well, which uh, is obviously something Roy looks for when when recruiting. So it sounds like it's still early on in his recruitment as far as UNC is concerned, Sean. But at this point, given from what you're hearing, is it fair to say that there's a decent level of mutual interest between both parties in this one? Yeah, I would definitely say that in terms of UNC, it's it's early. You know, they're they're coming in later, some other schools, but that's you know kind of their mo and given. They're, you know, they are UNC, so they're allowed that that flexibility a lot of the times in the recruitment. Um, I think the family has definitely been been welcoming of the interest and has been, you know, they've noticed that Steve Robinson was at the games in the summer and have, have kind of been been hoping for that interest as well. So I think, uh, you know, I think if UNC is to pursue Ingram, I think they would have a great shot. Um, you know, I think for him, he's not in any any rush to make a quick decision. So I don't think you'd see him come to the, the BC game in February. And all of a sudden a week later, he's committing to Carolina. Um, but I think if, if they, uh, you know, make the showing, you know, if he's, if he's interested in February, then two months later, you have the live recruiting periods and most likely he'll be one of the top, top targets. And then, you know, I think this goes into the, spring, summer, but should be a battle that UNC uh, should be well positioned for. All right, good stuff, man. We'll go ahead and wrap up the podcast with that then. Unfortunately, Sherelle had to leave earlier, had some family duties come up, but I really do appreciate both of you guys talking with me. And Sean, hope that you have a great rest of your night, man. All right, and hopefully next time we're chatting, uh, UNC has reeled off two wins in in a row at home. Would be really nice. Let's keep on hoping, man. All right. Have a good one. You too. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by T-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.